With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, good morning. Good morning. This will be one of two lessons on conflict res- resolution. And so this will be the first of a two-part uh, series on that subject in general. Now, uh, in some sense, these two lessons go hand in hand just to kind of give you an overview of where we're going. If you think about the passage that we're going to be speaking about today with James 4, we're going to be talking about the conflict from the personal side. So uh, if, if we are in relationships, for example, that have conflict, what do I do on my end, uh, first of all? So that'll be James 4. Uh, be thinking through what's going on with me. You know, how am I contributing to this? And so... Uh, you know, in general, as you think through any kind of discussion of conflict resolution, it's always wise to begin with yourself. And so with James 4, we're going to be beginning with ourselves. And then when you get to Matthew 18 next week, then you're going to be thinking through, assuming I've dealt with myself, then how do I go and help others deal with uh, conflict that we're having? And so first of all, we're going to deal with ourselves this week. And then next week, we're going to think through how do we uh, help others uh, in the midst of conflict. And so as I've said, it's going to be a two-part series, and it'll be somewhat topical. I mean, I, I think I've tried to, what I've tried to do is I've tried to ground uh, the thought that we're going to have over the next few weeks in particular passages, and so we're going to be thinking through James 4, 1 through 10, and I'm paying more attention, I think, to the uh, opening few verses, and then we'll be a little bit lighter on the end, but that's okay. Um, and And so it'll be Somewhat expositional, somewhat topical. That's just truth in the advertising, trying to let you know what's happening. And so uh, we're going to be thinking through some other passages and how they apply to uh, what's going on, how they contribute to what's being communicated here, too. And so in some sense, whenever you study any passage of Scripture, you're always uh, thinking through the connections that are made between this passage and other passages. And how how does the whole Bible speak on conflict uh, resolution? Uh, and so you can't do everything that you want to do in, in every single occasion. And so... Uh, over the next two weeks, we're not going to say everything that there is to say about conflict. There's, a, there's much more to say. Uh, in some sense, these next two lessons are summaries of multiple lessons put together into one, and so we're going to see what we can do there. Uh, but uh, as you think through conflict resolution, uh, this is a good place to start. Now, in some of your versions, it even says the word conflict here, what causes uh, uh, quarrels and what causes conflict among you. I think the new NASB says uh, conflict instead of fight there. Uh, if you're reading the King James, I think it'll probably say from whence com- cometh uh, instead of what causes. But uh, whatever version you're using, uh, what we're talking about here is we're talking about fights. We're talking about quarrels. We're ca- talking about conflict. So it may be wise to think through the different ways that we use the word conflict in general. And so uh, if you're going to do a subject, uh, study on conflict, you, I think it, it's always helpful to make sure that we're talking about the same thing. And so conflict's a very common word. Um, when you say the word conflict, a lot of different things could come to mind. Uh, first of all, 
maybe if you're uh, in the army or something along those lines and you think of a conflict, you're thinking about conflict in a military sense. And so you're thinking about wars or fights or military conflicts. In some sense, if you're to do a study on history, one of the things that you're studying is you're studying the history of sinful conflict in the world, right? And so history often is uh, bracketed by various wars and conflicts and fights. If you watch the news, you're going to see various wars and conflicts that are happening overseas. And so uh, if you use the word conflict, what may come to mind is military conflicts. Uh, if you're thinking in terms of the business world, what may come to mind is conflict of, conflicts of interest, for instance. And so uh, that's just another way that we use the word. But if I'm standing here uh, trying to teach the Bible and trying to do a, a series on conflict resolution, perhaps what's going to come to mind is relational conflict. And so I think that's the first uh, natural thing that would come to mind. I probably am not doing a study on uh, military conflicts or conflicts of interest, but uh, a study on relational conflict. But in general, the same principles apply. And so um, I think naturally when you hear the word conflict in terms of conflict resolution, you may either think of physical conflict. Uh, so if... if um, a married couple has a physical conflict. You may be thinking of spousal abuse or fighting or something that's actually uh, escalated to the point of physical violence at that point. Uh, but more naturally, I think when we talk about conflict resolution, we're thinking in terms of verbal conflict. And so what we'll be thinking of is a fight, an argument, or a disagreement. And so those are the words that naturally come to mind when, you, when you're going to do a study on conflict resolution. And so what I've given you here... Uh, is a working definition of relational conflict. This is just a definition I've made up that will help uh, so that you know what I'm saying when I'm saying that word. Uh, But I think most often when we're thinking of conflict, uh, the kind of conflict that we may need counseling for, uh, the kind of conflict we're thinking of is relational conflict, and you describe that as an angry disagreement between two or more parties, which is typically noisy and unpleasant. Okay, so uh, let me say that again. Uh, Relational conflict, as we most commonly use it, uh, we're we're talking about an angry disagreement between two or more parties, which is typically noisy and unpleasant. So you want to put all those words in there, and uh, you'll have some sort of an idea of what we're talking about. Now, conflict can be a neutral word. You know, in that definition that I just gave you, I've I've given you an angry disagreement. Uh, But in some sense, sometimes when we talk about conflict, we're just saying uh, there's um, uh, two different preferences that are clashing. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an angry thing. It just could be we have a disagreement, right? So, I mean, if you look at any of those words, a disagreement, disagreement can be more of a neutral word, right? Um, If if you're the sort of person who likes to argue, um, maybe you like to debate. You may, you may be more comfortable using words like argue in more of a neutral sense. And so you uh, calmly put forward arguments uh, that are in favor of this position or that position. And so, uh, you know, some people use words like argument in a neutral way. Some people use words like disagreement. I mean, you can, be, you can have a neutral sort of disagreement. But I think mostly when we're talking about relational conflict, we're, we're, you, what makes it uh, what we're talking about is the angry disagreement. We're not just talking about a neutral discussion where you're calmly sitting there and uh, discussing opposing points of view and uh, talking about the strengths and weaknesses of each. I mean, that's typically not what we're talking about. We're talking about an angry disagreement, which is typically noisy and unpleasant. And so in that way, for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to be working with that definition, the angry disagreement 
which is noisy and unpleasant. And so when I talk about conflict, that's what I'm talking about. And um, I'm not talking about the neutral thing. I'm talking about the thing that we don't like and the thing that we want to get rid of and the thing that we want to fight, right? And so I think that's what the scriptures are talking about here. Um, So as you look through James 4, 1 through 2, I'm going to go ahead and read it again. Uh, They're describing a situation where conflict is happening. So they're... uh, and, And... what James is attempting to do is give a understanding of where conflict comes from. So conflict in the negative sense, these angry disagreements which are noisy and unpleasant, which can escalate into greater disagreements which are not just noisy and unpleasant, but which are violent, right? And so um, as we look to the scriptures, we're, James gives us some insight into what is happening in these situations. And so we read in James 4, 1 through 2, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, James says. And so don't you, don't you love the scriptures, how practical they can be at times? I mean, if you've ever wondered, where, you know, why do we fight? Why do we have conflict? Go to James 4, 1 through 2, and he's going to give you an answer for why we fight, why we have conflict, why do we have uh, angry arguments and disagreements? Uh, why, why do we have wars in the world? Why do we have uh, military uh, fights in the world? All of these sorts of things. Why, why do, where do they come from, right? Well, James is going to give us a specific answer. Uh, and his answer is that they come from a sinful heart. Now, in saying that, when you say that wars and fights and conflicts come from sinful hearts, you have to understand how, how confrontational you're being in even making that sort of statement. I mean, if you look around you ask the world, what, what causes quarrels and what causes conflicts? Do you think that any non-believer, do you think that the news is going to identify the source of wars and fights and conflicts as sinful hearts? I mean, that would be the last thing that anyone would say, right? I mean, uh, in in a certain sense, you you watch the news and you you talk about a a military conflict that's out there. They're not going to identify the source as a sinful heart, right? I mean, uh, even in our own personal relationships, I think the most natural answer that comes to mind when we think about what is the source of conflict is we're not going to identify it with sin. Uh, more typically, what comes to mouth, uh, what comes to our, our um, tongues are sociological explanations or psychological explanations or biological explanations. And so why are we having conflict? Well, well because we have all this financial uh, hardships, maybe. Right. I mean, why do we have conflict? Well, it's a money problem. Right. Uh, maybe we don't make as much money as what we need, and so we're, we have conflict because we have money, a money problem. Or maybe in, in, that, uh, in that vein of thought, uh, what, what, you know, you ask someone, what, where's the conflict coming from? Well, I don't have a job anymore, right? And so, I mean, those are the kind of things that naturally come to mind. Those are sociological explanations. Uh, maybe, um, I think because of the influence of psychology in the world, then you ask the same question, what causes, uh, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Maybe we'll say uh, the reason why we are fighting is because I was mistreated as a child, right? Well, that's a psychological explanation. Uh, or maybe, you know, I had bad, my wife had bad parenting or something like that. Or, you know, uh, and now it's affecting the way we relate now, uh, dysfunctional family dynamics. I mean, those are the kind of things that we say uh, when, when you ask this question. 
Um, maybe it's psycho- psychological explanations, maybe even biological explanations are the most common now. And so you ask the same sort of question and what's happening. Well, they, this person has a chemical imbalance, maybe, or this person is fatigued or there's genetic abnormalities or ho- hormone deficiencies or, you know, there's all sorts of explanations. I mean, you can imagine asking that question and getting any number of those answers that I've given you. And is there some truth in some of that? Maybe. But that's not primary. That's the issue. I mean, that's not primary. Maybe, there's, maybe some of these things are influential, uh, but these things aren't determinative. And so when you ask the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? I think we want to go to the scriptural answer first, right? And let the scriptural answer speak. And so what does the scripture say? It is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members. So wars and fights come from a sinful heart. We have pleasures that are waging war in our members. Now, this word pleasure is, is um, in some sense, it's a neutral word. Uh, it's the word epithemio, which basically just means, it can mean nothing more than a strong desire. And so, um, as you're thinking through the different scriptures that are uh, addressing this word, uh, this description of your pleasures that are waging war in your members, you're just thinking in terms of a more neutral word that could mean nothing more than desire. So in Matthew 13, 17, uh, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it. Uh, similarly, Jesus says to his disciples, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So it's the same word there, uh, longing and earnest is uh, earnest desire. It's, it's a neutral word. It doesn't really have negative connotations. I mean, sometimes in the scripture it's translated in lust, in terms of lust. And then w- when it is, we're thinking in terms of sinf- something sinful. But more often than not, well, you're just talking about a neutral desire here. So the Bible says, where do wars and fights come from among us, well, it's not the source, your pleasures that wage war in your members. So in our heart, we have competing desires. Now, if you're to, if you're to speak about the heart in any biblical way, um, what you have to do is be careful that you're uh, thinking about it the way the Bible thinks about it. So oftentimes we think of our brain as our uh, intellect, and then we think of our heart as sort of... Um, maybe a romantic thing or an emotional thing or something along those lines. And so, uh, you know, the typical advice of the world is to follow your heart, something along those lines. And then what you're doing is you're thinking of your heart in terms of emotion or in terms of romance or in terms of um, something that is not cognitive or intellectual. But scripturally speaking, that doesn't work, okay? I mean, uh, the Bible, will say, Jesus will say, the good man out of the good treasure of a good heart brings forth good. So that's not talking about anything romantic or anything emotional. It's just saying uh, the inner man, right? When you think about the heart scripturally, what we're talking about is the inner man. From within uh, come uh, sexual immorality. From within comes adultery and fornication and evil desire. So internally, uh, inside of our heart... Our heart is describing the inner man. That's what you think of in terms of the scriptures. And so when you ask James, what is the source of uh, conflict? And he describes it as your pleasures that are waging war in your members. What he's saying is that you have a, in your heart, you have a battleground for your desires. So part of being a Christian means that 
the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me. And so now I have competing desires in my heart internally, in my inner man. There's a fight going on. And so if you look at, if you think about what Paul says in Romans 7, you know, the thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I do, I hate, right? So there's a war that's going on. There's a battleground inside of us. So we're naturally think, well, you know, what is the source of conflict? And you're going to be, you know, naturally we think something external. That's the point. Naturally, we're thinking of something external. You know, if you're thinking about military conflict, you're thinking about, troop movements, you're thinking about supplies, you're thinking about all these external things, right? Uh, But then when you think about the real source of these things, you're not supposed to be thinking about um, some political uh, conversation that happened. You're not really supposed to be thinking about troop movements, uh, supply lines. You're supposed to be thinking primarily in terms of a battleground that's going on internally in our desires. So we have desires that wage war in our members. And the truth is the strongest desire wins, okay? So the thing that I want to do most, that's what I'm going to do, right? Whatever I, you want to know the state of my heart, you look at what I, what I do, right? So a good treasure, a good man out of a good treasure of a good heart brings forth good. You want to know, uh, you want to know what that man wants? Look at what he did, right? And so uh, similarly, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, um, there's a, a warning against, uh, the improper use of money. And so uh, think, think about this with me for a second. Turn to Matthew 5. And I, and I want to talk about how the heart works. Actually, Matthew 6. So Matthew six nineteen. And we're going to think through how the heart works. So Jesus says in Matthew six nineteen, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, oftentimes when you read that, the, the uh, natural impulse is to say something along the lines of, well, it's okay to have money as long as money doesn't have you, as long as your heart doesn't identify with money. Well, that may be a true statement, but that's not what it's saying there, okay? What it's saying there is where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So it's a statement of uh, priority. What, what, it's, what it means is what you spend your money on reveals what's in your heart, okay? So in a similar way, what you do, your actions, reveal what's in your heart, not the other way around, right? It's not that um, your actions and your decisions are neutral and as long as your heart's okay. Well, no, it's not that. It's your heart reveals your actions, right? So when you go back to James 4, what you're thinking of is, where do wars and fights come from among you? It comes from these desires that are waging war in your heart. So there's something that you want. Uh, when you... Uh, when you have conflict with another person, there's something there that you want. There's a desire there that's turned into a demand. And so you want something so bad that you're willing to fight and argue and sin to get it. That's the point. And so part of um, being responsible and thinking through what's actually happening in conflict itself is to think through uh, the nature of our desires. So... um, what you see there is that there's some sort of uh, there's some sort of desire that's internal to me that's leading to these outward 
actions. So the outward manifestations of anger you see in this passage, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So the source of conflict, the sor- you, know, you, you look, what caused the murder? It's not the psychological explanation. It's not the sociological explanation. It's not the biological explanation. It wasn't because the guy had the serial killer gene. It wasn't because the guy had a poor upbringing as a family. You know, why did he commit murder? It wasn't because he had a poor upbringing, uh, serial killer gene, um, uh, bad home training, whatever. It wasn't any of that. There was some lust there. There's something that he wanted that he didn't get, and so he responded in murder. Uh, similarly, why are you fighting in quarrel? Well, there's some sort of envy. There's something in, going on in your desires. You want something so bad, you're envious of it, and you can't get it. So the natural result is going to be that you fight in quarrel. So as you think through a biblical understanding of conflict, I've given you an understanding of conflict that, you know, in terms of what we normally understand conflict to be. I've described... Um, Conflict in that way is an angry disagreement between two or more parties, which is typically noisy and unpleasant. But as you think through how James would help us to modify that definition, then what you're going to understand is conflict is this. Conflict is anger, which is physically or verbally expressed in a reciprocal manner by two or more parties as a result of sinful hearts not getting what you want. So try to give that to someone. I mean, just try to, uh, it's kind of a mouthful, so you may, may have difficulty sharing it in that way uh, because it's uh, wordy. Uh, but, but, but try to share that with your neighbors and see the reaction that you get. Um, why do we have conflict? Well, what is conflict? Conflict is anger, which is physically or verbally expressed in a reciprocal manner. So that's back and forth, right? By two or more people as a result of sinful hearts not getting what they want. So that, that'll be... Uh, our understanding of conflict as we walk through the rest of our lesson here. So let's think through some general principles of conflict. Well, we live in a fallen world, and no one is perfect except for Christ. Therefore, we should expect two things. One, that we will sin against others. And two, that others will sin against us, right? So that's just a natural, normal part of living in a fallen world. Sin will happen, and when it does, what will we do about it? What will we do about it? Now, often, we choose the path of conflict. As a result, uh, you have the next point there. In a fallen world, conflict will be a natural part of life, right? So if you live in a fallen world, you, have two pe- you put two people together who are sinful, put them in the same room together, make them interact with each other, uh, uh, close them into a house, right? Uh, for instance, uh, no getting away, no escaping. Uh, what's going to happen? Well, natu- well, normally what's going to happen is that there's going to be sin. Uh, uh, and, and in that way, conflict is a natural part of life. But uh, one of the things that we want to say is can- conflict may be natural, but that doesn't make it a necessary part of life, right? It takes two to have conflict. So often what, what we think that what is natural is necessary, but this is not true. So think about the example of Christ at this point. Did Jesus have conflict with the soldiers who were hitting him in the face? No, he didn't have conflict with them, right? I mean, uh, when he was reviled, uh, when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. And so what you have there is one way anger being expressed towards Jesus. So it takes two to have conflict. Now, um, 
First Peter two twenty three says, "When he was reviled, he did not himself revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judge, judges justly." Now we don't have to have conflict because we do not like to be mistreated, and therefore uh, we feel as if we are. We have to have conflict. We don't have to have conflict in that sort of situation. Jesus didn't have to have conflict. Now, if this is true. If, conf- if it's true that conflict may be natural, but that doesn't make it necessary, and if it's true that it takes two to have conflict, if we really believe these things are true, then we need to learn to change our words. You understand what I'm saying? Um, so how often do we say things like, he really knows how to push my buttons? What do we mean when we say that? He really knows how to push my buttons. We means, what we mean when we say that is that Uh, When they treat me this way, I have no choice but to respond in anger. And we're going to have conflict whenever he does this. And so what are we doing at that point? We're shifting the blame on them. We're going to say that, hey, conflict is... uh, uh, You ask that person who says that, he really knows how to push my buttons. Where is the source of conflict from among you? What is their answer? It's my husband's mistreatment of uh, of me, right? Um, And so... uh, it takes two to have conflict, right? So we should, instead of saying, uh, he really knows how to push my buttons, we should be saying, no matter what he does, I don't have to have conflict with him, right? No matter what he does, I can respond in a way that pleases the Lord. It doesn't matter uh, what they do. If Jesus, uh, when he was reviled, didn't revile in return, uh, I can be reviled as much as you want, but I don't have to respond in anger. I don't have to sin as a result of your treatment of me. So, uh, conflict may be natural, but that doesn't make it necessary. And so, uh, conflict comes from a sinful, uh, from sinful um, desires that are mastering uh, our actions. And so, what we want to then do is think through a plan to avoid conflict, and that's what James gives us. So, James gives us a plan to avoid conflict. So, as I've said, in this this week's lesson, we're going to be thinking through a plan to avoid conflict on our end. And then next week, what we're going to be doing is uh, thinking through how to respond when we're treated unjustly, right? So, um, plan to avoid conflict. First of all, identify the source of conflict. So, as, as we've labored to say, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So, plan to avoid conflict first. Identify the source of conflict. And this is very easy to do. Ask yourself, what do I want? It's very simple. If, uh, if conflict comes from these desires that you have that result in bad actions... The first thing you want to do is think through, what do I want in this situation? Um, if you want to put, um, put it a little more bluntly, what do I want that I'm not getting in this situation? Or to put it even more bluntly than that, what do I want so bad that I'm willing to sin to get? Okay? So, what, there's something that I want here. There's something that I desire. Uh, what is it? What is it that I want so bad that I'm willing to sin to get? So, that's the first step. Um, now, uh, the second thing you want to do is evaluate the source of conflict. So you want to identify it first You're at, by just simp- asking simple questions. What do I desire in this situation? What do I want in this situation? Evaluate the source, and whatever the answer is that you get, you want to evaluate it. You understand? So uh, one of the things to realize is the text here says nothing about the nature of the desire. So oftentimes, the desire is a desire for something good, right? It's not just... I mean, we don't, I think it's rare that we fight over, 
uh, like we just have some sinful desire that we want, and we want it so bad that we're willing to sin to get it. More often than not, it's a good desire. And so this is where a lot of marriage, uh, if you think through the way a lot of marriage books work, they talk about his needs versus her needs, for instance. And so, uh, you know, um, how it typically works is, all of the commands in Scripture are presented in terms of needs. And so you'll say, um, you, you're dealing with a husband and wife in this situation. The husband, uh, you'll say, what do you want in this situation? He's going to say something like, well, I just want my wife to respect me, right? I just need my wife to respect me or something like that. Now, is that a good desire? It's a good desire, right? It's not a bad desire. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, actually, she's commanded to respect her husband, right? So, I mean, that's a good thing. Uh, and, and so, uh, that you ask him, well, why are you fighting with her? Well, because she doesn't respect me. So, well, is that a good thing? It's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's a good thing to desire. But the problem on his end is that he wants it so bad that if she doesn't respect him, he's going to yell at her, right? And so you take something that's good and then you want this good thing so bad that you're willing to sin to get it. So, uh, so what you want to do then is evaluate the source of a conflict. It could be that you want a good thing there. Okay, but it could be that you want a bad thing there. And so just ask. So how do you determine good from bad? Well, one of the easy ways to do it is to ask God for it. And that's what the text says. So um, you desire and do not have. So you murder, you covet and can obtain. So you fight and quarrel. Then it says you do not have because you do not ask. So in that moment, you're having conflict. First thing you do is you say, what do I want right now? What do I want so bad that I'm willing to get angry and upset and sin if I don't get it? Uh, And then. Let's say you identify it as, I want my wife to respect me. Well, what does the text say? You do not have because you do not ask. So pray for it, right? Lord, um, what does that look like? Well, Lord, uh, my wife is is being really disrespectful (laughs) uh, right now. And um, will, will you help her to be more respectful, right? So, I mean, like in that way, what you're doing is you're identifying the source. What I want here is a good thing. So I'm going to pray for it because that's what the text says that I should do. But what happens if what you want in that situation is a ridiculous, horrible thing, right? Well, I just want my wife to rub my feet every day when I get home, for instance. <laughs> well, that could be a good thing too, but maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll, that'll be addressed later on. Uh, but at, at some point, um, Let's say that that's the request then. I mean, do you feel good praying about it, right? Lord, will you please help my wife to rub my feet every day when I get home because I had a hard day? Do you feel like uh, praying? For, can, can you in good conscience pray for it? Well, that's the next section here. You, do, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, uh, as you're identifying this desire, it could be a neutral thing, but then can you pray for it? Uh, and are you praying for it in a selfish way, right? So am I praying for it in a selfish way? So oftentimes we're fighting, the things that we're fighting over are good things. Uh, and and instead of fighting over it, instead of turning them into a demand where I'm going to punish you if you don't give me what I want, then what we should be doing is submitting these desires to God. Uh, and then this is going to, if we try to do that, then we're going to see really what's going on in our heart. And so um, think about these two different prayers, for instance. So in that situation, I've given the rid- ridiculous example. I need, uh, I- I'm so angry at my wife because she won't. Uh, <laughs> Rub my feet when I get home every day from work. And so then I try to pray for that. And I say, Lord, this woman is so selfish. Will you please help her uh, change her heart so that she uh, learns to serve me and everything else? Well, at that point, when you're reading through James, you're going to see 
Uh, you do not have because you do not ask. Well, I just ask, but then you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So what you have there is you have an example of a self-centered prayer. So the scriptures would say in these moments, instead of taking the path of conflict, we need to be praying. And, and not only do we need to be praying, but we need to be praying in a selfless way. And so uh, let's take a different situation. Uh, my husband doesn't love me like Christ loves the church. Right, So I'm going to fight because what he's asking for me is unreasonable. He's not living with me in an understanding way. And so uh, the temptation there is going to be to fight with him over it and to uh, argue with him and, and to tell him how he should be doing it. And then the prayer maybe uh, sounds really selfish at that point. Lord, I just need a husband who will lead me like Christ loves the church. And I'm not getting it, Lord. And so I don't know how to handle it. And you know, As you think through what the text encourages to do in those kind of situations... Um, one of the things that we see is that God won't answer our prayers if they're selfish, right? And so how do you pray in that situation? Well, part of learning to avoid conflict is learning to pray in that situation. So you may think to yourself, instead of saying, uh, Lord, I just... I need a husband who will lead me like you want him to lead me. And uh, if I, and so you need to change my husband. Instead of praying like that, our prayers, as we're thinking through this kind of passage, so we may change so that... Instead of being selfish, they're selfless. So uh, think about this. Now, what if the prayer sounded like this? Lord, I love my husband. I want him to honor you. And I think there's some areas where that he's fallen short in that way, Lord. But I, I pray that you would... Uh, I know that there's similar areas like that in my own life and in my own heart. And I pray that you help me to see those first and not focus so much on my husband and the areas he may be deficient, uh, Lord. But... I do pray for him as well, that you would help him to be a man who glorifies you and honors you with his life. Because I, I know that uh, him being put in a position of leadership means that he is going to be uh, responsible for how he leads me. And I don't want his prayers to be hindered because he doesn't love me well. And so please help me to know how I best interact with him because I want him to honor you. So uh, if you have the sort of person who is praying in that sort of way, uh, do you think... That there will be conflict. Probably not. Right. Uh, you know. Uh, and, and so. Uh, it's hard to imagine the person praying in that sort of way. I just want my husband to honor the Lord. And I really. Uh, I, I, please Lord help me to know how to best. Um, help him to do that. At that point. When you're, co- when you're cognitive of that. And you're thinking through your prayer. You won't be fighting. Is the point. And so one of the things that you want to do is you want to evaluate the source of my desire. Is my desire a good good desire? Can I ask God for it? Have I asked God for it? And am I asking for it in a self-centered way or because I really love my husband more than I love myself? And so it says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly that you may spend it on your passions. Now, the final thing that we look here is uh, the text says to humble yourself. And so we have a lot of text here. So first you... Identify the desire or the source of your conflict, which is some desire that you've made a demand. Secondly, uh, you evaluate that desire. Is it a good desire or is it a bad desire? If it's a bad desire, I need to repent of it. If it's a good desire, I need to ask God for it. But I don't just need to ask God for it in a selfish way. I need to ask God for it in a selfless way. Uh, So then the last thing you want to do is humble yourself. So um, the text says, 
You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So uh, the rest of what we have here is this admonition to humble ourselves. Now, what this does is you have a variety of different ways in the last part of this passage which draw attention to the fact that uh, conflict is not just you know, whenever you have conflict, you're not just talking about two people, right? So uh, the temptation is to think in terms of, if you're thinking in terms of your own marriage or, you know, maybe a relationship with your child or grandchild or employer or employee or whatever the relationship is, is to think that there's only two people involved in this. Or, you know, maybe if it's conflict with a larger group, then all those, count up all the people and say that's all there is. But one of the things that the text is trying to, uh, remind us of is that we're not just talking about two people, right? So you have a marriage problem. You're not just talking about a husband and wife. You're talking about uh, a husband and wife and each one of their relationships with God. And so what is what does the text say? If you're having conflict with, uh, if you're having sinful conflict with someone, uh, James is calling you an adulterer, right? Because that conflict that you're having is symptomatic of a broken relationship, broken relationship that you have with God. Uh, so uh, at that point, you're, you're spiritually an adulterer, uh, uh, an adulterer against God. You're a person who is making himself a friend of the world and therefore an enemy of God. And so God has uh, jealously yearning over us and he put his spirit inside of us. And what he's saying is that he's going to oppose the proud but give grace to the humble. So anytime you're having this uh, selfish conflict and this fight uh, with your neighbor, you're really ultimately having a fight with God. Why is that the case? Well, because God is sovereign and God is in control. Uh, God, Jesus is Lord. We're not Lord. I mean, if I really needed, a, you know, a perfect wife or a perfect husband in order to be happy, uh, then uh, ultimately God could arrange that if he wanted to, right? I mean, you know, if the, if the problem, if the problem, you know, for me, if, I'm, if the only way I'm going to exemplify the fruits of the Spirit is if God uh, gives me a perfect spouse and gives me a perfect kids and gives me a perfect job and gives me a perfect um, relationships with my employers and my employees, and it's all, if the ex, uh, solution is all external, then in some sense what you're saying is, God, you're not giving me what I need in order to have the fruits of the Spirit. God, it's your fault. It's not my fault, right? Uh, but what God is saying is that no temptation has overtaken you. But what's common to man, God's faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with that, temptation will provide a way of escape that you can bear it. So whatever situation we're in, there's no temptation that we're going to face. But what's common to people, God's faithful. He's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to bear. But with that temptation, he'll provide a way of an escape. So in these situations, whatever it is that we want so bad that we're willing to fight and argue and yell and be loud and fuss at people to get, whatever that situation is, God's saying, you don't have to take the path of sin in that moment, right? 
There's always going to be a way of escape that you may bear it. You can be like Jesus. When you're reviled, you do not have, uh, have to revile and turn. And so what we need to do is draw near to God, and he will draw near to us. That's why the solution I, I've given to conflict is primarily prayer, right? Because it's not about just fixing your spouse, or it's not just about fixing your kids. What is it about? It's about you and your relationship with God. In that moment, they're not doing anything that's causing you to respond in any different way. I mean, you can respond in, in love and in joy and peace. and long. You can suffer long. You can be gentle. You can be kind. Like, think through all the fruit of the Spirit there. You can be gentle. You can be kind. You can be patient. Um, not, nothing that anyone does is going to take away the fruit of your Spirit in your life. If you're trusting in God and relying on the Spirit, you can draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. And the more that you do that, uh, the more that you cleanse your hands and purify your hearts and be wretched and mourn and weep and have a genuine godly sorrow over the sinfulness that remains in your own heart, the fact that, uh, that you have sinful desires inside that uh, want to master you and want to express, express themselves in anger and fights and conflict, uh, the more that you're realizing these things and humbling yourself before the Lord and, and submitting your request before the Lord in a selfless way, uh, the more that you're doing that, um, God says, if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. And if you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So what is the solution to conflict? Well, ultimately, it's not just a horizontal thing. It's not just me trying to manipulate my spouse in order to get her to act the way I want her to act. It's not just about me trying to manipulate my kids and try to get them to do all the things that I want to do so that dad won't get ticked off and throw something at him or something like that, right? I mean, the, the issue is not with them. They're irrelevant. The issue is internally what's going on in my heart. What, what do I desire in this moment? What have I made so important that I'm willing to act like a maniac who's out of control just because people don't treat me the way I wanted to treat? Well, Jesus didn't do that, right? You, you, you don't see Jesus doing that. So uh, as you think through the solution to conflict, one of the things that we need to remember is no one, nothing, uh, uh, not, no one else, not my environment, not my circumstances, not my situations, nothing is going to cause me, uh, is going to necessarily cause me to uh, react in a sinful way. I don't have to have conflict with other people, right? So, I mean, we need to develop that, uh, that mindset uh, that, you know, no one's pushing my buttons. No one's getting on my nerves. No one's bothering me and frustrating me and annoying me. I'm choosing to be annoyed. I'm choosing to be bothered. I'm choosing to be upset. I'm choosing to be frustrated. I'm choosing to respond in, a, in the flesh instead of responding in the, in the spirit. And nothing that anyone else does is going to take that away from me. I can honor the Lord no matter what happens to me, Right? Uh, and it could be that as you're saying that, in that moment, you know, com- you see conflict coming, and you're saying that, and, you know, I don't have to respond in a negative way. Uh, and the other person's mad at you, and they're saying, I'm so tired of always having conflict. At that point, it may be that you say, we're not having conflict right now. <laughs> I'm fine. You know, uh, like this, um, you know um, it, it, it could be that what we want to do is we really want to think through what's happening in that situation and really... Uh, Claim the promises of God that no temptation has overtaken us. So as you think through this, what we've done this week is uh, we've tried to expose the real source of conflict. And that's uh, from these desires that are at work in our sinful hearts um, that find expressions in fights and quarrels and uh, murder. And so what we've done is given a plan of action to deal with that. And next week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be thinking through 
assuming that we put into practice what we learned here this week, how then do you go forward and help another person who is perhaps angry with you, angry with you or has sinned against you or uh, any number of different things? And so what we'll so this week's about us. Next week is about helping others. And so what we'll do then is um, go ahead and close in a word of prayer. I want uh, we'll have. Um, have you all spend a few moments in your seat uh, praying and reflecting uh, on what we've heard and, and be ready to discuss these next week. And so I'll give you a few moments to pray and uh, then we'll uh, I'll close this in a word of prayer. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.